Welcome to the Friday edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 706. I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm George Conger. Today is December 17th, 2021. All right, welcome to another program of Anglican Unscripted. We're kind of, we're kind of, no, we are head first into the Christmas season here. We're, uh, I think, uh, this is week four of Advent. It'll be coming up this Sunday as the fourth weekend of Advent. That, that boom, just like that, you know. <laughs> it was July 4th, but a couple months ago. And so things are happening quickly uh, in the Christian world, the news, certainly in the secular world, in politics, and George and I are here to cover as much as possible. Um, but before we get too far into the show, George and I are leading chaotic lives right now, and you're going to have to forgive us if things seem a little off today. George, you got up early today. Got up at 3 o'clock to get to the airport by 5.30 uh, to pick up my daughter, Claudia, mm -hmm. flying in from Seattle. And uh, also, also earlier on the phone uh, in the day with my daughter, Laura, who is in Calcutta right now. And uh, so the children are all flying around in various parts of the world. Mm -hmm. We are getting ready to fly up to Pittsburgh to see my three kids live in Pittsburgh. Um, and so I'm going to fly up there with Jill, uh, the 23rd through the January something. I'm taking the studio with me so we can still conduct operations here, uh, for Anglican Unscripted because news doesn't stop just because, uh, the world has been saved by the arrival of Jesus. News still happens. Um, let's also talk about, uh, right outside your visual range on my camera is chaos. Uh, Jill and I have moved into a new RV or new to us RV and uh, in doing so we unloaded everything from the old RV and put it into this new RV and sold the old RV but nothing's packed into the storage bins yet and so um, if I were to step one step here to the side I would trip fall on a cat and you'd hear it so I will stay positioned here and we'll talk about the news lots of stuff going on in the news let me bring up my uh folder here did we come up with a good news story no we didn't actually oh, uh, i none of this is good this is gonna be something good um well, yes we 19 the 1896 uh um is a good story george because the roman catholics have recommended that they recognize anglican orders if not the longest discussion in Roman Catholic and Anglican uh, parlance, this is the one. And uh, what are some of the recommendations? First of all, how did this come about and what are the recommendations? Well, the Malines Conversation Group. It's named after a city in Brussels, in France, mm -hmm. Belgium. Belgium. Milan. <laughs> the beginning of the 1920s, uh, uh, Lord Halifax and a, a Roman Catholic priest friend began a series of conversations to find a way towards corporate reunion between Anglicans and Roman Catholics. And the Malines Conversation Group is a continuation of that process. And it is uh, not the official voice of either church, but they are people of some substance and importance. Well, they had a recent meeting in Rome and they released a long paper uh, saying that the 1896 pronouncement by the Pope called Apostolic, Apostolicae Curae, which says that Anglican orders are totally null and void, the, church, the Catholic Church should move beyond that and should accept the validity of Anglican orders. Because now, a, this, lot, a lot has changed over time. Yeah into what the Anglicans believe and what the Roman Catholics believe, like Vatican II. Yes, part, part of the argument that was put forward in 1896 is, well, they're not, Anglicans are not ordained by the same rites and don't have the same intentions as uh, we have in our traditional Roman Catholic Missal. Well, the Catholic Church doesn't use that Missal anymore, so in essence that argument has fallen by the wayside because the one they use today is fairly close in many areas to the Anglican uh, right. So 
the objections that were raised a hundred odd years ago, most of them have been met or satisfied. And the recommendation, so it's not the Catholic Church is deciding to do something, but a very prominent group within the Catholic world is recommending Pope Francis take another look at his predecessor's pronouncement. And they're recommending that he drop it. Now, what would this mean, practically speaking? Well, it would mean that the Catholics would treat the Anglicans the way the Anglicans treat the Catholics. If a Roman Catholic priest wants to become an Anglican priest, he does not have to be reordained. He just has to, you know, have a bishop receive him, and he essentially needs to believe what Anglicans believe. And if if Anglican orders are recognized as valid, that would mean someone who wishes, who is an Anglican minister, who wishes to become a Roman Catholic can do so and without being reordained, act as a Roman Catholic priest. So it's not that Anglicans and Roman Catholics now share the same theology. Um, we don't. But somebody who has come to believe in the uh, doctrinal uh, essentials of the other and they wish to go from column A to column B can do so but not as a lay person well it's in like a, words, a, a ministry is recognized hmm. as valid a Microsoft engineer could go work for Apple without having to be retrained and reordained and vice versa uh, it's trying to draw the two worlds closer now in reality there's open table here in the Anglican communion would this be something that in the future, if we're, if we're allowing to recognize Anglican orders, could we also recognize that an Anglican layperson can come into our church and have Eucharist? Well, the German church is recommending that right now. Mm -hmm. That the, uh, it started a few years ago. The Catholics could receive communion mm -hmm. without having to become Catholics. And now it's reached the point where the Catholic Church in Germany, the Bishops' Conference in Germany and Austria, are saying, yes, we should allow Christians who are baptized in certain traditions can receive uh, the Eucharist at our uh, altars. Now, this is very controversial within the Catholic Church. So I'm not speaking for Catholicism <laughs> or for this or that. We don't speak there for the are, Pope. When uh, the news, uh, when I came across this item, and I'm sort of proud of myself because I was one of the first people to put it out there, other than Moline's conversation group, <laughs> they didn't have a good press office. Um, I sent it to Gavin Ashenden. I said, Gavin, what do you think of this? Because he, he's Catholic and he knows this stuff. Sure. And part of his, uh, his critique was that, well, you know, it's sort of a fruitless exercise because we don't share the same beliefs. So what is a priest without, in other words, for Gavin, the ontological issue of, you know, the priest being, uh, Vicar of Christ. Well, well I, 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 would, don't, I don't wish to speak. Yeah, I, I, let's I'm not speak for Gavin here, but I'm not, I'm not going to speak for Gavin. But the point is that the traditional Catholic objections have not been met, but no. liberal Catholic objections have. Trans association and, has not been ruled out as the the mode and method with his the eucharist in the roman catholic church works they're not changing that well let's just take a fanciful what if okay um let's say uh jack eicher and foley beach uh attended a papal mass mm -hmm. with would would francis allow them to receive the eucharist he would probably allow, if, if this moves forward, he would probably allow Jack Eicher to receive and to concelebrate because Jack Eicher and, and Pope Francis have a common Catholic understanding of what takes place in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Foley Beach has a more Protestant understanding. So in other words, that's the sort of distinction. Now, one issue, of course, is women priests. There are lots of Anglican women priests. What would happen to them? Well, they couldn't become Catholic priests because the Catholic Church does not ordain women to the to the diaconate priesthood or the episcopacy. So their male Anglican male counterparts could be received, 
And of course, they would need to believe what the Catholic Church believes so that I could not be received into the Catholic Church as a priest because I don't believe in things that are essential dogma for the Catholic Church. Um, and it'd be the same position as a woman would be in. Mm -hmm. But a, a man who believed the dogmas of the Catholic Church um, could be. Sure. So it's not just saying that all of a sudden all Anglican priests are now Catholic priests, Roman Catholic priests. Rather, it's the argument that the ministry exercised by Anglicans we regard as ministry that perhaps may be strained, perhaps may not be as we understand it, but we recognize the validity of what they do. But that doesn't mean calling them one of us. Right, but we, we have the Anglican ordinariate right now um, mm -hmm. where it's it's difficult, but a uh, ordinary can go to Rome. It's easier for a Roman Catholic clergy to go to the communion, the Anglican communion. Mm -hmm. uh, would this just disassociate and make a void and annul the need for the Anglican ordinariate? Well, remember, the Francis is not a big fan of the ordinariate. Uh, we have this from Greg Venables, uh, who when Francis was, a, Greg was the head of the church, Anglican church in Argentina, mm -hmm. when Francis was the uh, head of the Catholic church in Argentina, and they knew each other quite well. And Francis was not on board with the ordinariate idea to begin with. And the liberal Catholic for the ordinary and in fact they've been i hate to speak out of turn but they've been making life pretty miserable for ordinary people that, that's uh, not out of turn that's reality <laughs> and but what would this mean well the ordinary uh, would still be there it wouldn't disappear tomorrow but it would be weakened in the sense that uh the anglican distinctiveness that the ordinary to the papal office would no longer then be solely confined to the ordinariate, in my opinion, where Anglican orders viewed as licit uh, by the Catholic Church. Hmm. All right. Well, I think so. It, so it's so, so it's sort of. Uh, but again, the thing with thing is that if you have the Francis, see Francis is exploring women deacons. Francis is exploring lots of stuff that people on the conservative side of the Catholic Church find frightening and horrible and can't wait for him to go. So let's say Francis changes all this. Well, a new pope who, if he may be, if, if uh, uh, Benedict Seventeenth follows uh, Francis, uh, Pope Francis, he could take it all back again. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's an interesting issue. It, it, it's well, it's crazy because this, you know, we we hope and we pray for one day the church whole would be reunited, the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, uh, the Anglican Church. But I just saw an interview with the Orthodox Archbishop Metropolitan who said they can never be reunited with the Roman Catholic Church. Yes, Hilarion, the. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Metropolitan Hilary and the uh, the head of the Department of uh, Ec Ec Ecumenical Church Relations mm -hmm. uh, said, under no way, no how, never going to happen will Rome and Moscow be united because Rome are heretics. Uh, that, that's nice. And we had that fun little episode last month, I think we may have mentioned it, where an old Greek Orthodox priest came up to Francis to propounding all these false doctrines and was the fellow was shuffled away by the police the swiss guard so you know it just because you recognize the validity of someone else's orders doesn't mean that uh, <laughs> the it's all sweetness over. and light from that from that time forward it would essentially put the anglican clergy and churches on par with the orthodox churches mm -hmm. and that in technical terms the Catholics call the Anglicans an ecclesial community. They don't call them a church. Right. And that this is not meant to be a slight, but this is one of the leftovers from the 
Reformation era disputes, which were never had with the Orthodox. All right, next story. Now, I'm going to go way back in, in George uh, parlance here. When you went to seminary a long time ago in college, a male was a male and a female was a female. Okay, the, if somebody woke up one day and, and identified as the uh, opposite gender, you know, they, they clearly had a, a, a mental illness to the time and uh, they would be treated and they could go to a psychologist or a therapist and it was the understanding that, that at that time and still in the church today thank God that it is not normal and that um, there is a, a God who can help transform you and all of us uh, back into his kingdom I say all this because the gender wars and the sex wars and, and the polity of the day it has really surfaced itself in the church. And I complain the most because it hits the seminaries the hardest. And when it hits the seminaries, you've lost a generation of clergy. And transgender wars has hit the seminaries, but let's talk first about uh, the Diocese of Upper Michigan, who put out a little uh, critique of the Roman Catholic bishop making common sense of how we deal with the transgendered issue in this day and age as a church. His thoughts on paper were well-doctrined, well-written, and speak of a transforming church and a transforming God, not transforming church, a transforming God who can help. Upper Michigan, the bishop there, responded, there's nothing wrong. If you wake up one day and you want to switch genders and you just want to go to the doctor and have your your genitals switched, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Carry on. So here we are, George. It's amazing. I never thought we'd have to talk about this topic in this much uh, detail before. But let's talk about the Bishop of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest and kind of this whole thing going on in the Episcopal Church and the church worldwide. Go. Well, actually, there isn't a bishop in the Upper in uh, upper Midwest. Not uh, upper Michigan, sorry. What? Upper Michigan, <laughs> which is the northern peninsula of Michigan. Right. Uh, they don't really. They have an. They have an acting and interim bishop named Rayford Ray. Diocese of Upper Rattle. Most of its churches have been closed all year. Mm -hmm. uh, before COVID, 2019, the, the diocese and average Sunday attendance. Now, this is the entire diocese. Mm -hmm. Was 375 people. Oh my lord, <laughs> that's the size of a good church in in, in the ACNA or anywhere it's, or Lucanto <laughs> yeah no a little bigger than us uh, but we'll get there one day we'll be we'll be upper Michigan one day mm -hmm. uh, actually they may fall fall below us the, instead of us rising to them so the diocese of upper Michigan is a barely functioning diocese and it's mostly rural it's it's mining towns fishing summer camps uh Mackinac, Mackinac island i think it is <laughs> yeah. and then uh the, the woodsy folks and so it's very small well the in this july the bishop the roman catholic bishop of marquette michigan marquette the town on the upper peninsula put out a pastoral statement saying this is how the we catholics need to deal with the human sexuality issue and it began with a long discursus on how we are to walk alongside those who have uh, homosexual or lesbian or even transgendered uh, attractions. And we are not to criticize, we're not to condemn, we're not to judge, we are to love them as Christ loved us. However, there are some parameters that we need to leave, lead into in the life of the church. And this does not take away from our call to love and serve uh, this particular group of people, self-identified group of people. 
But the July 2021 uh, statement said, and I'll just read you a paragraph, a person who's publicly living in a same-sex relationship uh, may not serve as a sponsor or a Christian witness for the sacraments of baptism and confirmation. So no gay godparents. Similarly, a person who publicly identifies as a different gender than his or her biological sex or has attempted gender transitioning may not serve as a sponsor or Christian witness for baptism and confirmation. Um, the person who is publicly living in a same-sex relationship may not be baptized, confirmed, or received into full communion in the church unless the person has repented and withdrawn from the relationship. Uh, so we're talking about church rules versus pastoral outreach. So this was released in July. On December 15th, the Diocese of Upper Mission, its collective leadership, they don't have a bishop. I made a point about they're not having a bishop because they more act like the Borg, where they basically operate by by committee mm -hmm. uh, of lay people uh, because they have only one or two functioning parishes. The rest are these cluster things of groups of people led by lay leaders and lay catechists and said, we repudiate all the, that the Catholic Church has said. And in fact, uh, by not allowing people to be married, uh, to serve as godparents to be received or this and that they are denying the intrinsic uh holiness of gay relationships the intrinsic holiness of transgendered worldviews so which is no big surprise in the sense that upper michigan is one of the most liberal episcopal dioceses you can tell by its uh aca but the uh but it just took them six months or i'm sorry five months to read the catholic statement uh -huh. and uh it's not surprising to read this it's just disheartening because my thinking is totally along the lines of that uh now i'm not going to accept every jot and tittle the catholic line because no. i have different understandings of baptism and confirmation and whatnot but i basically agree with the uh the cut of their jib. I think they're going in the right direction, and the Upper Michigan Diocese is going in the wrong direction. As evidenced by their attendance. Um, yeah. Now, my problem here is not that we have a fruity diocese that just, you know, um, doesn't get it, doesn't understand that God is a transforming God. My problem is it's now in the seminaries, and the seminaries are uh, taking time to teach the gender wars to promote transgenderism to make sure people know that you can be born in the wrong body and the church is here to help find a way forward for those people born in the wrong body and clearly one of those ways is surgery and and whatnot but uh this is a complete denial of what we understand in scripture where God made us man and woman. This is a denial of the creation story. This is a denial of all we understand through, uh, you know, centuries of uh, uh, psychology and philosophy and history and anthropology and uh, Christianity. There, There is nothing in parlance except Broadway <laughs> that explains currently what's going on with the lgtbq plus 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 community and now the dogma we're seeing within our seminaries and churches uh, and i'll probably get banned on youtube for all this so you and i need to to discuss this happening now in the seminaries george virginia theological seminary after trinity is one of the largest episcopal seminaries vts is largest yeah and it's uh produced a good chunk of the Episcopal clergy, at least, at least in my part of the world. Mm -hmm. um, sort of below the radar, their Christian education department uh, has a ministry called Building Faith, and came across this on the website the other day of BTS. And it's the article is entitled, Gender Inclusive Children's Ministries, Where to Start? And the article starts out, gender, like so many other aspects of human identity, exists on a spectrum lie okay hold ago. on that's a lie 
<laughs> Remember years ago, we started off on sexual attraction was on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Now we have assertions of fact that gender is on a spectrum. Here's the second sentence. I'm a non-binary non trans-episcopal clergy person. And thankfully, at this stage of my life, I'm not often told I need to be to do things like, oh, boy, well, I'll stop there. The point is, here is somebody writing for VTS's uh, building church program, a ministry of the Education Department of Virginia Theological Seminary, teaching future clergy, teaching Christian educators how to have transgendered nurseries and kindergartens, how to remove male and female from the lexicon and the imagery and the worldview of children to allow themselves to be gender fluid as they explore uh, their lives. I'll say something very strong. I think this is satanic. Oh, it is, yeah. Really uh, th this is Satan having fun with seminaries. You guys are so screwed up. It, the greatest lie is that Satan doesn't exist. The second greatest lie is that hell doesn't exist. The third greatest lie is God did not make man and woman. Okay, you can argue with the priorities of those. <laughs> so here we have, uh, and it's just, it just drives me crazy. We In 2021, if you ask a liberal to define a woman, what is a woman? They can't do it because there are so many biological males now that identify as women that you can't, identify them by their genitalia you can't identify them by their feelings or how they were raised or their whether or not they have scruff on the, the five o'clock shadow and i don't i don't know if there's so many of them but they just seem to be particularly noisy on the internet well okay they're noisy on the internet but we just had a poll put up by the pew research that said 30 percent of millennials gen z's not us we're still the three percent identify as some sort of lgtbq uh, identity where they're uncertain of their sexual attraction they're uncertain of their gender they're uncertain of how to i to use pronouns uh, properly towards one another and this is this is the the satanic confusion uh the the greatest day for satanic confusion uh i mean we also have i think the next phase might be speciesism because in my uh, nursery at here at church i have a little girl who thinks she's a bunny rabbit i have another little girl who devoutly wishes she could be a mermaid sure and uh so should i start you know removing any human uh, species uh, references because the child if it is truly really wants to be a mermaid it can be a mermaid i'm being silly when i say that but, yeah, but... kevin it, it, is it any wonder that a third of uh, young people are screwed up when the education uh, system that has formed them in this country when the culture in which they live is so narcissistic and self-focused that the measure of the world is yourself not things outside of yourself I, i've been following this uh this silly story from the university of pennsylvania hmm. there was a boy a young man who for three years was on the men's swimming team and he was a mediocre swimmer average he could make a average. lap no i mean he he, he, he was a letterman i'm not yeah. saying he was total you know joe his senior year he did, comes back to school for the fall semester and is says that he's now a woman and it is on the women's swim team. And he has proceeded to break every Ivy League record for women. Now, these record-breaking times are mediocre men's times, but they're fantastic women's times And that for one particular race, he beat the, the next person, a woman, by almost 15 seconds. Now, in swimming, 15 seconds might as well be an hour. Yeah. And it's because this guy has not had surgery he's not started female hormones and he's benefited from 21 years 
of male testosterone and body this and that and all he's done is grow on his hair long he doesn't even wear a woman's bathing suit and the problem is the the girls on the swim team this one article i read are frightened to speak out publicly they're happy to speak off the record to reporters of how they've spent years getting up at 5 a.m to train and now what's the point what's the purpose because all the energy all the effort all the work they've done is now pointless because a guy can just walk in jump in the pool claim he's a woman grow his hair long and that's all he needs to do is be a woman because he really devoutly wants to be true but that you said the key thing here being a woman is now pointless there's no reason to be a mother there's no reason to be a daughter there's no reason to be a sister being a woman is absolutely pointless because we have redefined or undefined which is even worse what it means to be a woman i think we're going to i think we're coming up to a crash point because there are few liberal feminists who have not bought into this dogma uh, two of them are people i think everybody will know their names one is the tennis uh, superstar martina navratilovna she's not on the circuit anymore She's always been an out lesbian, and she has criticized uh, biological males who have had the benefit of uh, male puberty and strength and height and stamina competing as women. And for this, she has been exoriated. She can't, you know, Sports Illustrated won't touch her. ESPN won't touch her anymore because she says, you know, men competing as women, destroying women's sports. Well, okay. But so she has been canceled. She's been canceled. Okay. Very firmly canceled. Mm -hmm. And the other person I think much more well known to the modern generation is the author J.K. Rowling. Mm -hmm. And she has uh, been just vilified by the left in England for saying a woman is a woman and a man is a man and you cannot have, you know, you cannot play word games to make one not the other mm -hmm. and you know people are denouncing her and the, the thing is i think rolling if you look at rolling i don't think she'll cave because her heroes were always people who fought for the truth against a world that had gone crazy uh rolling so, made billions creating a fantasy world she knows fantasy when she sees it sadly her readership and viewership don't know fantasy when they see it so, some of them some yeah. of them uh, but it's just um and rod little a uh, uh, british commentator is sort of a uh, uh i guess close like a a, a a hannity type person in the british context went up to the university of durham to south college and uh on the topic of freedom of speech talked about uh, the cancer culture specifically on this issue and what happened uh, the student the students proceeded to cancel him during his lecture walked out his food were disruptive and the university administration backed the students over the faculty who invited him and Rod Little mm. and they were really into a world where It's just, I mean, the the satanic element and all this is just so strong. No, I mean, there's so many examples. The the professor who got fired for uh, mixing up the names of uh, two of his uh, uh, black students uh, was in the news this week. I mean, there, it's just, it is so crazy right now. I don't know how long Unscripted can run on YouTube anymore uh, just because of the content we talk about. Every word that we say here is scanned and uh, filtered by YouTube, and somehow we've been able to, through the gift of sarcasm, get through the filters of YouTube. So many people have been uh, canceled for talking about this topic. Uh, we'll have to see what happens uh, to Unscripted in the future. I may end up on an alternative uh, uh, video site. What's the other one called? Rumble or Ramble or who knows? So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. but. Uh, we're here for you during these crazy times, but you know Satan the devil is the author of chaos and I can't think of it being any more chaotic in society right now than watching this generation uh, 
up to 30% not know who they are sexually uh, or genderly. That That is so sad. Um, George, let me look here at the show notes. Um, we need to give a couple updates. Uh, and I'm going to switch up the, the numbers here uh, because people have been wondering, who is John Jenkins? And so we'll talk about who John Jenkins is. Uh, just a great dude, obviously. No, no question about it. And the story <laughs> of the cathedral in Alabama. So um, first, let's give a little update on the cathedral and then talk about John Jenkins. Last week, the Cathedral in Alabama held ordinations, and mm-hmm. four uh, four people were ordained to the priesthood from the transitional diaconate. One of those persons was uh, a man in a partner gay relationship, and this was not known to the cathedral uh, dean and chapter. And the Cathedral of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, has been a stalwart of traditional morality, traditional sexuality, and for many years has actually been an estrangement between the cathedral and the diocese. In fact, didn't the dean recently quit from the cathedral? The dean recently resigned Mm -hmm. to join the ACNA and is trying to plant his own church in that area. Well, the uh, new bishop, uh, Bishop Curry, I regret I cannot remember her first name, Bishop Curry, um, basically did a deal with the Advent. The Advent would basically re-enter the life of the diocese and it would be left alone. It would not be forced to adopt some of the pro-gay stuff. So we have this ordination coming up. And I received an article about a month ago. I I solicited contributions for Anglican Inc., I said on this show, friends, if you would like to write stories, send them to me. Now, I have not responded to a number of people because I lost the file where I put down your names and addresses. So I apologize if you think I'm a rude jerk for not writing back. But if I haven't written back to you and you've offered, write again because I can't find it. And and Carmen, copy me. Uh, I'll put both our emails on here so that uh, I'll keep a record of this stuff that George is going to forget in the future. So, cool. So, so I mean, because and we have been posting submissions from people, and one of these people was a man named John Jenkins from, and he said, uh, "Here was this ordination, and the diocese pulled a fast one. One of the men being ordained was a partnered gay man, and the dean didn't know, the cl- the uh, congregation didn't know." And several of the conservative leading clergy in the diocese who, when they came forward to lay hands on the new priest, didn't know either. And the bishop. And so I looked this over and I just sort of did a rudimentary level of checking. Yes, ordination took place. Yes, this and that. And I labeled it as uh, Anglican ink news rather than straight news mm-hmm. where I've got sort of a little category which is you know yeah. not not all there and I put up this fellow John Jenkins name and ran with it uh, then a very good friend of this uh, ministry uh, Jeff Walton said hey I got this I got this email from this guy too but I've written back and his email bounces Ooh. and something doesn't smell right about this so I checked, and I got the same result as Jeff. And so I said, "I better take this down, <laughs> not not just not throw it out, but just put it on private until I'm able to verify this." Because it's not that the facts are wrong, but just I can't identify who John Jenkins is because his email doesn't work anymore. And I had also been in contact with members of the cathedral congregation, and they then sent me. Uh, as soon as Dean Smalley, I believe it is Sm- his last name Smalley. I can't remember his first name. Not a good day for my Alabama names, I'm afraid. Ask me the da- Dean of Lusaka, I can tell you. Boom. Not, not <laughs> ring him Alabama. So as soon as Dean Smalley and the chapter wrote a letter explaining what went on, I got that and I put it straight up on the uh, internet uh, as, you know, uh, press release and because it could be verified and this, that, and the other. Now, um, what the press release said was that, uh, yeah, we were snookered. You know, we, they didn't tell us 
this wasn't part of our deal. Uh, if we had known, we would have sort of stepped back. Well, Bishop Curry responded the next day telling Episcopal News Service, uh, well, we didn't hide the fact that this guy was gay. If you had bothered to have gone to any of the sessions of the Commission on Ministry, uh, which she appointed and therefore they can't be blamed for not going, you would have known that this guy was gay. Um, so basically she said, yeah, I pulled a fast one, but tough on you. Um, I was so able to deceive you because you didn't do your homework. So you screw you. You didn't do your homework. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and so now anything that you get from the diocese, you have to open outside with a bomb sniffing dog and anything that you want to do, the diocese wants to do, you basically got to check social security numbers and, uh, get picture IDs. FBI profile. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, it's not a good situation. No, but I think where Kevin wants to go with uh, why did it why did the story get taken down well it's not that there was a falsehood in fact there is no falsehood uh, everything that we've been able to find out subsequently was that this was a true account hmm. written from a conservative perspective but unless but we don't use pseudonyms here we right, only use right. it in rare occasions we've actually I can think it's a handful we don't, have don't name, don't name them <laughs> No, I, I, I will. Okay, I mean, right, so right, you right. can see that on our website this yeah. morning, you will see an article by a fellow named Graham. Mm -hmm. That's it. Graham is one of the victims of John Smythe, mm -hmm. and he has gone by that for 10 years. And... I have no problem putting that out. Mm -hmm. We uh, Sometimes we have a story by a famous British movie actor of the 1950s. Uh, Cornell Wilde. Uh, it's not that Cornell is still uh, still putting around talking about Anglican stuff, but this was a uh, a priest of the Church of England who uh, was in the process of leaving the Church of England, and he felt freer to write an opinion piece using uh, a, a pseudonym. But I knew who it was, right? And I knew his reasons. And yeah, so, but, we, but when we see those type of pseudonyms, we do check them more for accuracy than we would uh, even our own writing, you know, because yeah. yeah, all we need to do is become the news again. Yeah. <laughs> and what was what was funny was that uh, uh, some liberal bloggers and the Al the Birmingham Alabama newspaper picked up our stories and speculated as to why we took it down and. Uh, but um, and then they said that uh, well you don't need to bother yourself because they don't have no clue what they're talking about <laughs> but it, it's 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 difficult in this situation because there are people who wish to speak but because of their position within the church they can't talk or they're not authorized to talk or they're you know and in this modern era in the secular press, how many times have we been buffaloed by a news network saying White House sources tell us? Oh, yeah, I mean, or the CIA tells us off the record. And it turns out to be total nonsense. And we just don't want to play that game. So unless we know these people and we understand why they can't use their names, because they get fired, uh, not that they want to take pot shots at somebody from behind the cover of Anglican Inc., we're not going to play that game. I think there's a cat fight going on behind me. You, you need to share the chair, guys. Um, so, and, and that's reality. We've just gone through the last decade of fake news, and it continues today. Anonymous sources is no way to run a news organization. And, you know, the, the greatest example is the Russian dossier on Trump. I'm not a Trump fan. Don't, Kevin, you're a pro-Trumper. Ah, nope. Uh -uh. But <laughs> Trump was right about fake news, and he's right about other things. Um, and it just exists so bad to watch CNN trying to defend their uh, their own hosts now, uh, who are guilty of... You're missing a great cat fight. <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me toss something in the, in the mix, it'll stop. 
You should carry a water pistol or a little well, spray bottle. You want to let the kittens play. They, they, they're not in a big house. Well, it's a little bigger now. But So when they play, they play, and they love to play. But uh, I'm doing a show. Live studio, you know, don't be the studio audience. And so Anonymous Sources has ruined news. And we don't want to do that here on Anglican, on scripted.inc. Um, if we can't verify who you are, your story gets pulled. Uh, and maybe never published. Uh, the thing that sort of cheesed me off, uh, what, what a phrase that is. I wonder if I'm, like I'm 12 years old again, <laughs> uh, or 15 or whatever. Uh, but it's politer than another phrase. Uh, Mm-hmm. was that uh, the Alabama uh, newspaper said that, you know, naming us, Anglican Inc., that uh, we criticized the actions. No, we didn't. Mm-hmm. John Jenkins criticized the action, and the dean wrote the letter to the congregation, and then people in the comments made criticisms and support. Uh, Anglican Inc. very Anglican unscripted is where we criticize. Absolutely, <laughs> Anglican Inc. is where we try to play it straight, you know, and clean. And mm-hmm. it's better to put out the dean's too long statement, mm-hmm. uh, but let the dean speak as the dean wants to speak, mm-hmm. than my condensing it for you with my little twist. Now we'll sometimes do that for things of not an essential nature, uh, but you know, it, it's always best. It's like we had this we had this story out of uh, Australia where Roger Hurt, the former Archbishop of Perth, was deposed from the ministry for uh, basically covering up abuse. We've written about this extensively over the years, and finally the Episcopal Standards Board came to its final decision, recommended Roger be kicked out of the ministry for conduct on becoming a priest or a bishop, and instead of just putting that into three paragraphs, I felt it better to have the statement from each of the bishops involved, Perth, Newcastle, where the abuse took place in the primate, and then have a, a, a then maybe have a summary story, but allow you to look at the original documents, if you're so disposed, to find out what's going on. Because, and it, that's, basically, that's my reaction to the poor state of the media the veracity of the press today. No, media. They always said, "Print is dead." Well, guess what? Now it is. Um, let's move on. We well, got some. Sto- well, we got some a lot of stories to cover. If you want to start start cutting stories, um, we can we can you know work this this media thing to death. Um, but th- the point yeah. being, it has changed. Just oh, what's it say again? <laughs> I'm only on point number two. <laughs> All right, right, finish finish your points. Kevin, you're right. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Well, I've got plenty of time on Sunday to uh, flesh (laughs) out my three points. Well, we also have Tuesday uh, show. I think the problem is we we only recorded once this week, and we have just so much news to pack in before the Christmas uh, doldrums. Not a lot of stories are posted at Christmas, especially in, in the Anglican Communion and the Episcopal world, stories about Jesus. Um, I'm looking here, and I'm reading messages where the bishops and archbishop put out their Christmas message, and I'm expecting to hear about the Christmas miracle, which is not the discount you get at Amazon or the free shipping you get from Walmart. Um, It is about the miracle to the world, the advent, the, the promises made through the Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm reading all these Christmas messages from notables like presiding Bishop Michael Curry. And I'm like, maybe they don't know about the Christmas miracle, George. So let's talk about the lack of Jesus in Anglican and Roman Catholic and Lutheran and yet Methodist parlance talking about what is the true meaning of Christmas. They don't know. Anglican Inc. always likes to post as many Christmas messages from mm-hmm. church leaders around the world because we don't expect anybody to read them. I do. I read them so you don't have to. <laughs> and But I like to put them out there, and then we can sort of focus in on good ones and bad ones and this and that. Um, most of the Christmas messages I've seen are interchangeable with the letter I got from the Homeowners Association. You know, just 
general expressions of goodwill uh, with a little sort of local hook into it, you know, make sure you bring in your trash cans on Tuesdays before <laughs> 6 a.m., you know. That, the, 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 most the, holy, of... the most holy letter I get is it will include the word tidings. Oh, <laughs> they tried. <laughs> so most of, the, most of these are, but you know, you put them out there. Mm. And what I think is funny is the stuff you've got there so far, the most Christian Christmas message, you know, talks about Jesus and the shepherds and the wife. I mean, go through the Luke's, Luke's, uh, Luke and the uh, nativity narrative. It's the Bishop of the Windward Islands, Leopold Friday. Uh, Windward Islands are in the West Indies. This is the guy who's got it right. Uh, Michael Curry, uh, I don't know really what he's talking about, but you know, it's, he gets excited. So, I mean, it, it must be important. And yeah. then there's, of course, the ones that I just love. And one of them that's going up, if it's not already up, I can't remember. There's a woman bishop in British Columbia uh, named Anna Greenwood Lee, hyphen Greenwood Lee, Greenwood hyphen Lee. And she is just, she's a Catherine Jeffrey Shorey in the making. This woman is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, she talks about the fact that there are no white people in the Bible. And because, you know, Jews are not white people or, and neither are Gentiles, you know, Greeks and Romans, you know, Italians, they're not white people. And how uh, we need to adopt that. We've been influenced by a colonialist mindset and giving, exchanging of prisons are nowhere in the Bible. And I'm thinking, this is too good to be true. This is, this is a dream. <laughs> we need wonderful. to have a contest for a worst Christmas message from Bishop, Bishop or Archbishop. That that's well, so. Anna, Anna Greenwood Lee has taken a major lead in this race. Wow. Now the Bishop of Montreal hmm? has is running on the outside and may overtake her because she talks about the freeing Christmas from its neo-colonialist heritage. Uh, I got I, I got to get my head around that one, but uh, Anna Greenwoodley is in the lead, and mm. now there, you know, it's too bad Charles Benison is retired because he could always he was always the dark horse. He could always come around the bend and surprise you. Uh, I haven't well, seen I, what Justin I, Welby has to I, offer. Well, I was kind of hoping we could get some more uh, Mary was raped stories. Um, th those are the best Christmas ones where um, Jesus was the child of an unwed mother yeah. and a refugee yeah, yes so he was uh, homeless I mean Jesse Jackson was uh, always great for uh, bringing up the homelessness of uh, Joseph and Mary as they they traveled uh, uh, to Nazareth so yeah and it's just about time that either Time magazine or Newsweek has a cover story did Jesus ever really live, or is this just a pagan myth that was Christianized? Mm -hmm. So every time, about every every year this time, either Time or Newsweek rediscovers uh, the uh, Roman festival of the Feast of the uh, Invincible Sun, and uh, yeah. says how this was stolen by the Christians and this and that and the other. And you, you roll your eyes because uh, this has been so thoroughly debunked; it's not even worth going down that road again but well it's worth it to um, them because in this day and age all you have to do is cast a little bit of doubt and that seed of doubt grows are you sure you're a male because it's based on feelings are you sure you're female are you assured you, you are you sure you're attracted to the opposite sex and that little I, seed of doubt even in in christian uh Christmas uh, letter form. It's all it takes, George. Next, we'll be having what came first, Christmas or Festivus? Um, <laughs> uh, I was just waiting for the time <laughs> Newsweek uh, to bring that, uh, bring up that story. Yeah. All right. So let's do a final story here. Um, we're going to do a, a Smythe update. Um, I don't. It'll never be. It, it'll never be the last update because it's it's a tragedy in the church to have so many victims and it to me it's a continued cover-up 
And until people repent, admit where they were wrong, and admit where they were in this story, and including some of the leaders of the church right now in the Church of England, uh, there will be no ability to offer forgiveness to them, to offer forgiveness to John Smythe, to let the uh, realm of forgiveness that we have available to us as Christians work because there's still dishonesty. There's still the unknown. And then we need to talk more about the story because now there's more to the story, George. Yes, there's more to the story that there is no story. Uh, <laughs> on the Surviving Church website, a survivor of John Smythe abuse named Graham. Uh, Not his real name. His is pseudonym. Mm -hmm. Has written an essay about 10 years since he's informed the church about his abuse, what's happened. And Surviving Church has given us permission to reprint that, so you can also read it on that and click name. Graham reports that in the 10 years, nothing's happened. Mm -hmm. Nobody's talked to him. He had a brief meeting with the Archbishop of Canterbury, or Justin Welby, I think in 2017, where Justin Welby essentially went, there, 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 there. Well, what Graham says, the only person to be published, punished, in the John Smythe affair has been George Carey. And that was later rescinded because he hadn't done anything. But Justin Welby has known about this since 1983. Uh, senior clergy have known about this for 20, 30 years now. Um, the Archbishop of Canterbury's has been kicking this between committees since uh, for 10 years now. And one committee says, well, we have to wait on the other committee. The other committee says, well, we have no power to compel or investigate. And some of you know that my wife, Susan, is an attorney. And I'm gonna give an analogy. Susan has a very specialized practice. She only does two types of cases. She does ecclesiastical cases for free for people. So if you're gonna be deposed, call, call us. She can do it, take it for free. But her real job is she's an attorney that only does veterans appeals. So at, at before the Court of a Veterans Appeals in Washington, it's an appeals court where if you're suing the VA, case in that VA court, the VA has a practice of trying to wait out veterans. So basically, when you die, your cause of action does not pass to your heirs or to your estate. So the VA is notorious, especially right now with the World War II generation. Mm -hmm. Susan had a case where a VA, where a World War II gunner on an airplane complained of hearing loss. Well, I think that might be a true thing, you know, firing a machine gun out there, mm -hmm. out of a thing. And the VA basically kept that case going for 10 years. Susan will swear because just go away. This is how the Church of England is approaching the John Smythe affair. They're just waiting for everybody to die or to go away. Uh, John Smythe is dead. Some of the principal witnesses and uh, people and the actors in the early 1980s are dead. That last generation who knew anything or had any personal knowledge is the Justin Welby era. And so maybe Welby is waiting for all of his contemporaries to drop dead before they actually do anything. Well, hold on. We do know that Justin Welby and his administration go after dead people. That's true. Oh, yeah. I just want, I want to put that out there. Yeah, just you, because you, you died. Spectacular point. <laughs> you know, just because you die doesn't mean you're off the hook in the Church of England. Uh, uh, just means you can't defend yourself. But it's crazy, George, that uh, um, forgiveness can only truly work when there's honesty. You know, the, the transformation that, that uh, is allowed in the kingdom, that forgiveness transformation, you know, Jesus knows everything about you, so it's easy to forgive you. There's nothing hidden, okay? You get on your knees, you ask forgiveness. Jesus is like, yeah. He's eager to hear it. He's eager to give it. In the church, it should be the same. We should have all the information so that we can begin the process of forgiveness. Not have to post stuff on surviving church. Is it called surviving church? 
Reviving Church, the website, yes. The, the, Stephen Parsons. In a well-working church, there should be no Anglican Unscripted or Surviving Church websites. You know, it just it shows it's broken, George. All right. Um, I think that's everything. Let me double-check the stories. John uh, Jenkins, Jesus Smythe, Upper Michigan, 1986. That's it. All right, are you available Tuesday? Because, you know, with Christmas and travel and all that, I don't even know if I... I'm available to tape before the 24th. How about you? Uh, Tuesday's the 21st? Yep. Mm, I had three funerals last week. Nobody's died yet today, so I should be clear. Good. All right, so uh, our forgiving audience will understand if we don't tape on Tuesday, but we have scheduled it in, in pencil. I'm Kevin Coulson. And I'm George Conger, and you've been watching episode 706 of Anglican Unscripted.